Hey guys, my name's Renaud and I'm lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Orlando, Florida. Like me, I'm sure you've seen those movies or documentaries where a bunch of surfers are competing to catch a wave and then suddenly one of the surfers will begin to paddle out into the middle of nowhere. Everybody's watching the surfer, wondering where they're going and then somebody will notice in the distance a great swell that is emerging. Only that surfer saw it and we wait with anticipation to see what will happen. The swell turns into the biggest wave on planet Earth. The surfer surfs it beautifully and we all cheer at the end. In the last few years, I've had the extraordinary privilege of traveling to Latin America on multiple occasions to serve the A29 church there with Jay in South America and Francisco in Central America. While I've spent my time there, I have noticed that the gospel-centric church is just starting to come awake like a great swell that is emerging. And Latin America as a continent is ripe for revival. When you see a continent ripe for revival and an emerging of a gospel-centric church movement, you get the chills because you recognize that God is up to something to bring about a great movement of the gospel in Latin America. For that reason, we have begun to divert resources from Mosaic to be able to serve the church in Latin America. But we've not just done that because we're convinced that a revival is coming to that continent. We've done it because while I've been there, I've also recognized that this church that is coming awake is a sleeping giant, a giant that is going to move globally into a movement that is going to serve the global church and become the next great church planting and missions movement. I may be wrong, but I see a swell coming and if I'm right, it is gonna be one of the greatest movements of our generation. So we are gonna be part of that wave. I'm paddling out, if be it to the middle of nowhere, to be able to be part of catching the greatest wave I'm currently seeing on the horizon. And I wanna encourage you to prayerfully consider serving A29 in Latin America as they are part of the foundational work that is gonna help the gospel-centric church come alive, spark revival, and change the world. Excited to be partnering with you guys. Well, good morning. I'm Francisco. <laughs> I, I'm, my name is Francisco. I'm the, I'm the lead pastor at Casa de Libertad Church in Guatemala. And uh, again, I'm from Guatemala, so English is not my main language. So you, you're going to have to be a little bit patient with me. And my main source of English is HBO. So, <laughs> so if anything comes out that it shouldn't, just, just, just pray for me. Okay, so... so so I'm also the, the, the network director for Acts 29 in Latin America. And I, just let me tell you a little bit about how I met your pastors. I met both Phil and Renault last year in Rio in Brazil while we were doing some assessments for potential church planters down in, in Rio. And while I got the chance to meet them, I, I got you know, just the chance to share and to, and to, and to just get to see a little bit about their, of their heart and, and their passion. And, and if you talk to Reno, their passion again. And, and, and just, just like he said, the desire to support new gospel-centered movements that are starting to emerge. And maybe, and he actually said, you know, I take pride in, in, in just noticing what nobody's yet seen and, and wanting to be a part of that story since the beginning. So, so you know, humble as I am, I said... Look at me, you know, we're, we're, we're young, we're starting, we're in Latin America, nobody's yet seen much of us, so, so uh, to my surprise, he, he did, and uh, for the last about year and a half, Phil's been down there a couple of times, Renault's been there, um, Javier, the, 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 the Latin pastor for Mosaic has been there, um, 
Gabe, uh, your, your missions pastor has been there. there. And I've been, I've been really been able and had the privilege to, to learn from you guys and see some of the work that you're doing. Some of the work that you're doing as a missional church, some of the work of you, that you're doing with, with orphans and, and, and through Latin America. And, 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 and when you see that, I think you got to ask yourself, and, and you should, why are we doing all of this? I mean, why are we going and, and sending our, part of our resources to an orphanage in Guatemala that most of you will probably never be there, if we're honest. Why, why, why are we pushing our people to, you know, to, to be missional and to adopt? And to, I mean, we could probably live comfortably and have no problems, most of you, for the rest of your lives. So, so why, do, why go through all that trouble? And, and hopefully, I'm going to try to answer that question for you guys today. I'm going to try to show why you guys are doing this and, and, and hopefully move some of you guys to do and, and to be a part of it and, and to do some of that yourselves. So, so to do that, I'm, I'm going to take you to, to a story in the Bible in the Old Testament. It's a story probably most of you have never heard of or, or read, but, it, but it's, an, it's an amazing story. And I think that story just shows that. I mean, we'll, we'll get to see very unlikely heroes. We'll get to see them save the day. And we'll get to see them be moved to mission. And hopefully, in seeing them be moved to mission, we'll get to answer the question, why are we doing this? So, so if you have your Bibles, just go ahead and grab them. We're, we're going to be in, in 2 Kings chapter 6. And, and, and again, through this story, I, I just... I just think we're going to be able to, to get a glimpse of just the greatness and the goodness and the saving power of God. And once we see that, my hope for today is that once we see that, the Holy Spirit will stir in our hearts and will, will, will move us through that understanding to, to make an impact, not just here in Orlando, but, but in, the city, in the whole city and the nations. And it'll be a long-lasting impact and and hopefully god will god will will make whatever effort we can do just go above and beyond whatever we could ask him to do so second kings chapter 6 verse 24 it starts like this afterward ben hadad king of syria mustered his entire army and went up and besieged samaria and there was a great famine in samaria as they besieged it, until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of, the, of a calf of a dove's, dove's dung for five shekels of silver. So basically, we have an army that's attacking a city. And, and whenever there was a city with a wall, a protective wall around it, and, and an army couldn't breach the city wall, what they would do is they would besiege it, which basically meant we'll surround the city and wait. So they're surrounding the city and waiting. And the same wall that serves to protect the city from an invading army also serves to isolate the city. So while they're safely inside, there's no food coming in. There's no supplies coming in. There's no support or weapons or anything coming in. And the city starts going hungry, starts going desperate. And and, and the city is driven either to a place where they're too weak to defend themselves or die. That's pretty much what happens. So this is what's going on. Syria has besieged Samaria. And and you know that a city is desperate when the fourth part of a calf of dove's dung is sold. I mean, who cares the price? 
When you need to buy Dove's dung, something's gone really, really wrong in your city. So that's where the city is right now. The city's desperate, and it's so desperate that, that you can see in verse 24, it says, afterward, I'm sorry, it, it says, verse 26, now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord will not, will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? So you can see kind of the mood on the city. Everything's desperate. They, they, they're defeated. They know it. And, and somebody comes up to the king and he's a man. So, so they go like, could you help me? How can I help you? I can't even help myself. And, and, and through that desperation, this king comes to, to a revelation that I hope most of us come to sooner rather than later. And I don't think he even realized what he stumbled onto, but, but he just realized there's nothing I can do to save myself. There's nothing you can do to save me. There's nothing, I mean, I, mean, I can't save myself. I can't save you. You can't save me. I mean, either God does something or we're dead. And I really do hope that we understand that sooner before things get this desperate. Now, the city was so desperate that on, on verse um, 28, the king goes after, he just desperately says that, says, and the king asked her, so what's your trouble? She answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day, I said to her, now give your son that we may eat him. Apparently, it was a very small son. So, <laughs> but she has hidden too much. No, no. <laughs> but she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. Now, the city's driven to such a point of desperation that women are eating their children. Now, usually any parent here would say like, I'd rather die before I eat my child. If you have four, you're starting to consider that. But, <laughs> but anyway, the city gets to a place that's so desperate that the, the quarrel between this, these two women is, we ate my child, now she doesn't want to give her child up. And before we go all self-righteous and all saint on them and go, oh, how can they eat their, their children? L let me just prove to you that you can do that too. Maybe you've never eaten a child. Maybe you'll never eat a child. I hope you never eat a child. But, <laughs> but when things get really desperate, you're going to find yourselves willing to cross some lines that you thought you would never cross. You're going to find yourself having crossed some lines that you criticized and judged others for having crossed. When things get really, really desperate, maybe, maybe you started lying. It wasn't huge lies. You just started exaggerating truths. Or maybe, maybe you started minimizing situations and, and your wife has no clue just how bad the things are because you're just minimizing things. And, and if she only knew and you, you never thought you would lie to her. You, would, you never thought you would have to hide things from her. But things are so bad that, that you, you want to protect her. That's what you tell yourself. Maybe you stole. 
you know, from the office supply room, and, 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 and they're not going to miss it, and, and, and you're really not hurting anyone, but, you know, school starts tomorrow, and, and your kids need some of the supplies, and, 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 you know, it just seemed like harmless. Maybe you started drinking, and it wasn't very, very much, but, but that, that was never an issue for you. And things just got so bad that you needed to take the edge off and you needed to relax and, 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 and starting to get a little bit out of hand and, and you never thought you, you'd have to face a drinking problem, but sometimes you're starting to think that you might have one. Maybe things got so bad in your marriage that you cheated on your husband or wife and, and you never thought you were going to do that and, and you, you always thought that, oh, that could never happen to us. But things are so bad that you suddenly felt justified. I mean, she doesn't pay attention. He, he ignores me all the time. You know, if she only, if he would only. And, and suddenly, you're right there where you're considering cheating or, or you've already crossed that line. This is what a desperate situation does to us. It just really reveals how wicked our hearts really are. So yeah, you probably never eat a child but you're definitely going to cross some lines when things get really bad. Because our hearts are a lot more depraved and a lot more wicked than we would have expected. So the, the king sees this, tears his clothes, he's walking through the city half naked, and everybody goes like, okay, things are bad. The king is walking half naked. <laughs> so verse 31, we continue the story, and it says, and he said, may God do so to me and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now, now pause for a minute. So things are really bad. You know, the city's desperate. And the king goes like, you know what? I'm going to kill the prophet. Does that sound a little unfair to you? <laughs> Just imagine. Your marriage is, is going really bad. And you go, you know what? I'm going to kill Renault. <laughs> I'm going to kill the man of God. <laughs> and the king acts on it. Verse 32 says, Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Now look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is it not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Now, I'm going to answer that question in a minute. But let me just get back to what happened. Because the king sees the city desperate and decides to kill the man of God. Why? I mean, that doesn't make any sense, does it? But if you read the whole chapter, and if you start out at the beginning of chapter 6, it'll make a little more sense. Because at the beginning of chapter 6, or a, a little ways into chapter 6, you, you see the story where suddenly, I mean, these two nations were at war. So the king of Syria, the enemy, would come up with a plan, like, say, we're going to attack through the north. And God would reveal to Elisha, you know, tell the king they're coming through the north. So God would go to Elisha and said, you know, protect the north. They would rally the troops and, and be ready. And when that happened a couple of times, the king of Syria said, I think we have a spy. Someone's definitely telling the other king what we're doing. And one of them, I, I imagine, raised his hand and said, you know, you know, my king, they have a prophet. So whatever you think, God reveals to him 
and they defend themselves. So, so the other king, king as he is, goes like, let's kill the prophets. Now we have two kings wanting to kill prophets. <laughs> so they, he musters up an army, goes against the prophet. When they walk to his house, the, the, the prophet's servant, Jesse, panics like, oh, they're going to kill us. And, and when he says that, I, I can imagine Elisha like, little grin says like, Lord, could you just open up his eyes? And when he prays that, the, 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 the servants start seeing, oh, there's angels and chariots of fire and, and, and horsemen because and, and, uh, there's more with us than against us. So, so, so Elisha prays and says, Lord, could you strike them with blindness? So the entire Syrian army goes blind. And Elisha comes out of his house and says, so I hear you're looking for the prophet. He's not here. I'll take you to him. And I can imagine he kind of grabs the general by his hand, that's just me, walks him to a city and takes him to Samaria. Takes him inside the city, inside the palace courts. And when they're there, and then suddenly their eyes are open, they're in the middle of the enemy city, surrounded by the enemy army, about to be killed. And when they're about to be killed, the king asks the prophet, do I kill them? And the prophet said, no, 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 don't kill him. Actually feed him. You should feed him and send him home. And this same army who was just sent home is now besieging the city and taking the city to a desperate point. So now it makes sense. <laughs> when the city gets to that point, he goes, I'm going to kill the prophet. Because <laughs> he told me to do something and I obeyed. <laughs> I did it to obey God. And look at us now. And I've seen this happen plenty of times in, lives, in the lives of the people I pastor. I've seen people say, you know, pastor, I quit my job because my boss was asking me to lie. My boss was asking me to cheat. And I said, I'm first and foremost a Christian. So I quit because I wanted to honor God. And here I am six months later and I can't find a job and my family's mad at me because I quit. I've seen, I, I, I've seen people come to me and say, you know, some of our youth, you know, I broke up with a boyfriend. I broke up with a girlfriend because she was not a Christian, because she was pushing me or he was pushing me to do things that I just won't do because I want to honor the Lord. And now word spread through my high school, word spread through my college, and nobody even wants to pay attention to me, and I'm all alone. I I've seen people, you know, just believe God for healing and quit their meds and be come close to die. I, I, I've seen people, you know, decide to rescue their marriage because their marriage is, is, is just going through a hard time and, and they go to a counselor and they say, you know, you've got to confess your sin and got to serve sacrificially and they confess their sin only to find out that the, when they confess their sin, the, their wife goes like, oh, that gives me biblical reasons for divorce. Thank you. Or he suddenly becomes guilty of everything that's wrong in their marriage because he confessed and becomes the unpaid servant of the house. I've seen people just step out into mission 
Maybe taking in a foster child, maybe taking an adopted child, only to find that it wasn't as romantic as, as they expected. And now their homes are starting to feel the tension of bringing in a, a stranger into the house. And now, now, now their marriage is starting to feel the tension. Their kids are starting to resent that. And, and you know what? You, you, you might not want to kill Renault. I hope you don't want to kill Renault. But, but you might, and I've seen people say this, you know, I'm just done with God. I'm done. You know, I obeyed. I did things that I thought he was asking me to do. And look at us now. I'm done. I want nothing more to do with God. And I've seen this happen a long time. So this is what the king did. He was like, I'll obey God. Look at us now. So, so he sends the messenger to kill him. And the messenger says something. Also, again, a great revelation that I don't know that he knew that he was having. But he says, you know, this trouble comes from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Now, let me answer that. Actually, let, let Jesus answer that. Because Jesus once had a huge crowd. He was preaching a sermon. There were thousands there, a couple thousand people. He was preaching a, a sermon, and it was one of those sermons that when the sermon ended, he went from a couple of thousand to a couple of dozen. And then Jesus looks at it, goes to his disciples and says, do you guys want to go too? You're welcome to go. And Peter, I love Peter, he just goes like, where would we go? Only you have words of eternal life. So maybe you're going through a desperate situation. I just want to ask, if you're like the king, how can I save you? I can't save myself. You, you've realized you can't save yourself. You, you, I mean, you can't save others. Others can't save you. Where are you going to go? Why would I wait on the Lord? You know why? Because those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strengths like eagles. Why would you wait upon the Lord? Because those that wait upon the Lord won't be put to shame according to Psalm 25. Because those that wait upon the Lord, it says that the eye of the Lord is upon them, according to Psalm 33. Because the Lord takes pleasure on those that wait upon the Lord, Psalm 147. Chapter 7, verse 1, 2 Kings. But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. All you need to know, it's cheap. That's, that's all you need to know. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. But there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. That, now these are our heroes. We finally got to our heroes. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. If we sit here, we shall die. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, then we shall but die. Now, these are our four heroes. Let me just briefly tell you why they're the least expected heroes. They're the most inadequate heroes that we could ask for. Because lepers in that time were social outcasts. I mean, they were considered unclean. They, they, they did not know much about the disease. So they had to wear special clothes so that people knew they were lepers. And if a leper would enter this room, 
He would have to, as soon as he crossed the door, he would have to start shouting, unclean, unclean, so that everybody would move. So they're outside the city just hanging out, and they go like, oh, we're going to die here, we're going to die in there. Let's just go to the enemy's camp. Maybe they'll have mercy on us. And, and let, let me just kind of spare you some details. They saved the day. Just, they're, they're the heroes of the story. But one of the things that I love so much is it's just that we're going to see God saved them through the most bizarre circumstances, the most unlikely heroes. And this is just so much like the gospel. Because when you think of the gospel, who would have, I mean, who would have thought four lepers were going to save a city? But when you think of the gospel, who would have thought that God would send his son? Can, can you just imagine that conversation? Even if you thought of it, can you just imagine a prophet going to God, say Isaiah, you know, Lord, I have an idea. Could you just bear with me? You know, we're sinners. This is my plan. Could you send your son to die? Can, can you imagine that conversation? <laughs> so let's just finish the story. It says, so they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So basically, they go out, and during the night, God played a heavenly soundtrack that sounded like Rocky Balboa or something, and, and everybody just ran away. So they fled away at twilight, verse 7, and abandoned their tents, their houses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank. They were hungry. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. So these men walk out enter a camp that's completely empty. They go and first thing they do, they eat. They're hungry. People are eating their children. So, so, so they eat, they drink, they find gold, they find silver, they find clothes. They go and they hide them. They go into another tent, they eat again. And, and you know, they, they just stumbled into God's saving power and God's great mercy. And they were destined to die and suddenly they have more than they could ever hope for. And there they are. You know, this is you and me when we come to the gospel. Isn't it? I mean, we had no hope of saving ourselves from our sin. And suddenly we come and we find tents and we eat and we dine and we taste of God's goodness. And suddenly, theologically speaking, we discover things like we're sons of God. Suddenly we start discovering things like, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. We as a church are God's body, are God's fullness in the earth. We're made heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. We've given all spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. Hey, we're more than conquerors. We could spend months talking about this. But in a very practical way, a lot of you, maybe when you came to the gospel, maybe your life had no real purpose. I mean, you're just kind of going through the motions and suddenly you came to the gospel and, and wow, now, now your life means something. 
Maybe some came sick and have been healed. Maybe some marriages were devastated. And in Christ, you, you found restoration first because you were able to understand your own sin and now forgive your spouse. Maybe some of us found joy. Maybe you're that guy, the, the, the ear-like guy that never smiles, is always down, and, and, and suddenly now, now, now you have joy. You have hope for the future. So maybe you, you found freedom from, from addiction. Maybe you found freedom from, from destructive habits. Maybe, maybe you grew up Christian and knew enough of the Bible to know that you're a sinner. And that was just crushing you. And suddenly you finally found freedom from that guilt and that condemnation and you feel honestly forgiven. You, you now realize you're part of something greater than yourselves and, and, and your priorities just changed. Again, we can go months talking about this. But this is what happens to the lepers and this is what happens to you and me when we encounter God's mercy. And I just love the next verse and this is going to be my last verse. Uh, the, the, last, the next verse says, Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day, and I love that the Old Testament uses this next phrase because it, it says, this day is a day of good news. You, you do know that's what the gospel means, right? Gospel means good news. So, so they basically say, you know, this day is a day of gospel. This day is a day of good news. And if we're silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come. Let us go and tell the king's household. So they've received all of this. They've eaten, they've drank. They're safe. They're saved. And not only are they saved because they, they now have food. I mean, they went from social outcasts to we got to choose what gold we keep. <laughs> Now they have gold, now they have silver. That These men's lives were transformed and, and suddenly in the middle of that feast where they're just celebrating God's goodness, one of them goes like, you know guys, there's an entire city out there that's gonna die. We should go back. We should just tell them. You know, this is a day, and again I love this, of good news. Now, I don't want to guilt trip you into this because you, you got to understand just how much like the gospel this is. These guys, they're already saved. I mean, their salvation's not at stake. These guys, they've already experienced God's power. I mean, they're safe in God's hands. God, God delivered them. God saved them. God gave them more than enough. And when they realize that, it's not, I mean, they're not going back so that they might be saved. They're, they're already saved. But when you realize all that God has done for you, all that God has given you, you can't be quiet. You can't stand still. You, you, you can't just enjoy that and not realize there's an entire city out there that's about to die. You know, Jesus put it this way. This is what's going on. Jesus put it this way. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. It just says like this. You know, heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the leopard, cast out demons. You have received without paying, now give without pay. Now, before we go all theological, like, can we still do that? Can we still raise the dead and heal? It's not that complicated. Jesus is just saying, whatever I've done for you, now let that be the driving force so that you can go and do the same thing for others. 
Whatever I've done for you, now make sure that wherever you are, whether at work, whether with your family, whether you're with your spouse or with your children or, or your, your friends, just live a life that shows just how beautiful the gospel is so that they can experience the same thing that you experienced. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why this church is doing what it's doing. That's why you're serving the poor. That's why you're ser serving, serving the, 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 the orphans. That's why you're going to Guatemala and Brazil and Latin America. That, that's why you're doing it. Because when you've experienced God's restoration, you restore. When you've experienced God's healing, you go and bring that healing to others. When you've experienced God's purpose, you go and find those that have no purpose and try to lead them into a purpose-driven life. I did not think that through. But <laughs> when you've received wealth, now you share some of that wealth. And these guys, I mean, they've re received God's mercy and now look back and say, you know what, God, I do this. And they, they realize something even greater. And they say, if we don't tell them, they will die. And maybe, maybe part of that blood will fall on our heads. Now, the story ends in an incredible way. I, I, I'm going to spare you some of the details, but basically the lepers go back. They preach the gospel. They shout out, hey, there's food here. First, it's taken with a little bit of unbelief and, and, and skepticism, but then one goes out, comes back like, it's true. So everybody goes out, and, and the city is so happy that when the... the, the The next day, everything's cheap because there's an abundance of, of stuff. And when the prince, who said that was not possible, goes out to check it out, a crowd just runs him over and kills him. <laughs> so he was able to see it with his own eyes and not taste it. And God's word is full. It's an amazing story. You should read your Bibles. It, it's, it's really good. <laughs> Now, you, you might say, I'm not sure I signed up for this. <laughs> But this was Jesus' agenda always. I mean, when you, from day one, you see Jesus calling his disciples like, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. All we heard was, follow me, and I'll restore your marriage. Follow me, and I'll give you this or that, and I'll sell. And we, me too. But since day one, that was Jesus' call. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make your life impact more than you would imagine. So let me end with this. Maybe you're here and you're like the women in the city. You're desperate. I mean, you, 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 have, you, you have no idea what's going to happen. You, you, you realize you can't save yourself. You're in a desperate situation. And, and maybe God brought me all the way from Guatemala just to tell you, could you hold on a little longer? Could you wait on the Lord? Because this room is full of people who can testify, God will come through. God will not abandon you. I have no idea when or how, but I know God will come through. Maybe, maybe some of you guys, you know, are all mosaic. You know, you're as committed as can be. You're serving your missions. You're, you're living life intentionally. You're, you're trying to demonstrate the, the beauty of the gospel. You're all in. And, and, and I, I did come all the way from Guatemala just to say thank you. I mean, 
You have no idea how far the, the, the impact of, of your generosity and your time and your mission-mindedness, even your podcast can go. So, so thank you. Uh, you know, I, I'm the director for Latin America, so on behalf of Latin America, thank you. But maybe, maybe, and if this church is a little bit like mine, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there. Maybe you're the lepers. You've discovered God's goodness. You've tasted his riches. You, you've tasted his favor. You, you've drank of his, of, of, of his mercy. And, and, and you've been going from tent to tent, from church to church, from Bible study to Bible study, and, and you're just taking it all in. And maybe I'm here just to say, you know, today is a day of good news. And you've tasted all this. And there's a city out there that's going to die if you don't speak up. And there's a world out there that's going to die if you don't speak up. So wherever you are there, I can tell you this. God is good. God's been great. We, we, his mercy is there for us. And if you've tasted some of this, please don't be quiet. Please share your story. Please just share what the Lord has done in your life. Just invite others to taste and see. You, you don't have to preach to them. Maybe you can just say, I have no idea. I just know that I was blind, but now I see. Now let's just do something. Because you cannot taste the gospel and not do anything. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you that we have tasted your goodness. We've seen your hand in our lives. And, and if we're honest, I mean, we've crossed lines and we've been those women who've, who've eaten a child. We've crossed lines we said we would never cross. And, and I just thank you that when you saved that city, you saved those women too. Father, thank you that that we've been able to experience that goodness in our lives. And Lord, I, I want to pray for the, for the one that's desperate, not, not knowing what's going to happen or, or how you're going to intervene. Lord, that, that you, you would just intervene and, and show them that you are good and give them fellowship within the church and, and just give them hope. And Father, I, I pray for for those that are already as committed as can be, that you would encourage them, that you would become their reward. But I also want to pray, Lord, for, for those that are today, as the lepers, comfortable, drinking of your goodness, that you would stir them up. Stir them up to live a life that's on mission for you, to live a life that shows just how beautiful the gospel is. I pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.